Today's episode of the Back to Back Podcast is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or you're just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users today. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to back2back, B-A-C-K-T-O-B-A-C-K dot Robinhood.com. That's backtoback.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Welcome to the Back to Back Pod on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerd She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo DeKeel and Seth Partner. Are you ready to be entertained? Hello and welcome to a new episode of Nerder She Wrote, the first one of 2020, because we recorded the mailbag uh, on New Year's Eve. I'm your host, Dave DeFord, joined as always by Mo DeKeel and Seth Partnow. Seth, uh, how's the weather in San Francisco? Uh, it's it's warmer than Milwaukee. It rained a little last night, but it, uh, it's, it's sunny and brisk, uh, uh, mid-50s today, so uh, yay. Yeah. Hooray, California. <laughs> what's, what's the weather in Milwaukee like right now? I don't know. I'm not there. <laughs> I mean, but your wife is, dog. Like, yeah, but no, nah, man. She's on her own. She's on her <sighs> own. <sighs> I feel the same way. Look, when, when I go somewhere nice and my wife is stuck in awful weather, I nah, mean, she's on her own. I don't feel bad. That's that's marriage. Man. <laughs> I feel like you set me up for that, Dave. I did. I did. Your wife doesn't listen to this show. Just, you know, there's no way. She, she will now. But I'm also really disappointed that with Seth in San Francisco, we're not going to get any possible opportunity of a cat attacking him, mid, you know, mid mid rant. That's I, really kind of the thing. And the cat, cat, like, I, I need this to happen at some point during the show. Cat attacks are social media gold, Seth. We just need, we need a GIF. Our ratings GIF. would go through the roof. That's right. <laughs> uh, guys, it's trade season. Officially. Now that it's a new year, uh, I know we had the, the Jordan Clarkson, Dante Exum trade uh, to close out 2019. But now that the new year is here, you know, we're about 40 games into the season. Trade deadline coming up in a little over a month or right around a month. Uh, trade season. And you know it's here because the Kings are linked to a trade that makes absolutely no sense. Would either of you guys trade Bogdan Bogdanovich for Kyle Kuzma? From the Lakers? Yes. Well, yes, yes. <laughs> call the league right now. <laughs> but, but that's not even. The, the, oh, that's not what you're asking. No. Okay. <laughs> but that, that's not even the best part about it. The best part was the way it was phrased was like they'd have to give them Bogdanovich and other pieces yeah. to get Kuzma. And I was like, hold on, guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listen, hey, uh, Mike, uh, you need to note this. Uh, Mike uh, producing the show today. Uh, hey, guys. Yeah. Uh, listen. Get the fuck out of here. Get get the fuck out of here. That is, they are on totally different planets as players. Now, if I was making the argument for trading Bogdanovich for Kuzma, you would have to feel extremely high about Kuzma or be high. You would, you would have to say, we have decided we're not going to try to match you know, on Bogdanovich this summer. And you'd say, well, Kuzma's three years younger. Those are the arguments for there's no argument, you know, like that that really makes sense in a in a vacuum, though. Bogdanovich is that much of a better player. No, it made no sense. Like when I saw the report, and, and really, I didn't even see the report at first. I just woke up and and saw a whole bunch of group messages in a in a chat I was in talking about this, and I'm like, what? What? Wait, what are we talking about here? And then they showed me the report, and I was just like, no, no, this makes no sense. But also, it kind of does because it's the Kings, and you never know what's possible with them. Seth, so, you have a you have a theory on this, right? I you know I'm not 
I, it's, it's a theory. It's one of those, those half-baked theories that I'm not sure I believe, but I maybe believe just it's because it's the Kings and they're kind of notorious for um, factionalism, shall we say, uh, in, 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 their, in their organization, that, this is, that, that my, my half-baked theory is that someone in the Kings org like, leaked the trade to, to get it out on social media so all of us would crap on it. And so they we just to just kill it dead. So we don't have to talk about this anymore because look how dumb this is. And then they got that response. And then all of a sudden you got, uh, you know, our Sam Amick was like, actually the Kings wouldn't be interested in, in just that. Actually the Kings wouldn't be interested in Kyle Kuzma at all. Sort of they, those kind of, that kind of messaging sort of came out of, of, of Sacramento sources. So it's, it's sort of the, not a trial balloon to, to see what people think about it, but a trial balloon to explicitly get people to shoot it down. And, um, you know, I don't, I, I don't have any, uh, any, any knowledge of that actually happening, but I, but it doesn't seem. It's a great idea. It's a great idea. If you're, you're, think about it. If you're a member of a front office and you think an idea is just absolutely nuts, man, I would totally just text, Hey Sam, I know where you're going, (laughs) you know, know where you're going, but no, you can't do that. Like that's not a fun, if, if that's how you getting stuff done it's not a functional organization well is this a functional organization act as if no you're right Uh, (laughs) i'm not saying that the spurs are out there doing that i'm saying you know if you're if you're with an organization that has historically just kind of stunk it up and it starts in the front office man that that'd be a great way to you know if you want your team to succeed that'd be a great way to do it i don't know i don't think that i don't think that makes your team succeed it just makes it like if that's what's going on in your org, you're not going to succeed. You might just well, you're, you're putting out fail one fire at a time. Yeah, you're putting <laughs> out one one fire at a time, but you're still you're contributing to the to the overall culture and and kind of the 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 mishigas of, of of craziness that makes it impossible to do well going forward. So yeah, like you might stop one like bad move, but at what cost? I think it's, it's Pennywise found pound foolish, but I think it's going, I, I don't think it's coming from the Kings. I, I really felt like it was coming from the Lakers trying to pump up Kuzma's value, value, especially with the thing of like, Oh, you have to add other pieces to get Kuz. And it's like, dude, first off the guy makes like next to nothing. They have to, Lakers have to add pieces just to, to move them to, to get a piece back. But I just felt like it was more coming from the Lakers and trying to somewhat drum up some sort of support or, or or uh, intrigue in Kuzma to see if other teams might bite and, and and give him a little bit of a better deal. But I don't. I honestly just didn't feel like as much as it would make sense to come from the Kings. I just felt like it was more likely to come from the Lakers. If if it if it was coming from the Lakers, then it, it kind of backfired, right? Like it's it, it just get like you know it got a whole discussion of oh come on like this guy is Laker plans backfiring. That's a first. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what it what it did was invited. All of all of the basketball media to collectively take a giant, you know, fire extinguisher to <laughs> Kyle Kuzma's trade value, right? Like it was just like, listen, let's lay this out there. The guy is not very good. Uh, good luck getting stuff for him. I do think that if they're gonna move him, I mean, he is the one guy that actually has some kind of value uh, and might be able to get a piece. Because, I mean, what are they gonna do? Trade Rondo or Avery Bradley? I mean, it, Kuzma is at least you can. I could see a team talking themselves into, okay, he's 24. Uh, he could be a high volume scorer. Like we've seen him do that. Um, you know, he's, you know, six, nine or whatever. Uh, he's cheap, right? Like I could, I could, I can see that happening. I just, I don't think you're getting anything like Bogdan Bogdanovich. Well, cause you, you touched on it, Dave though. Like he's, there is, there is definitely value. I think there's a team that could see him and say, Hey, we can, work with him you know he's in a weird situation in LA the past few years the whole LeBron thing all of that you know and and you touched on his where his value comes from I just think to get a piece back they got to put it with something because like you know they're not getting an impact player at that salary scale right like what's he making right now like 1.5 1.8 like something like that so you know it's not like they're making that trade and getting something in return that's going to say, okay, cool, now we're, now they're contenders like Bogdanovich, where you're like, okay, this is over. You guys talked about that on Buds the other day. So it's like, you know, you have to piece him with KCP, which becomes complicated because he's got to waive his bird rights. You have to, 
you know, or, or you're going to move Bradley or, or, or something like that. And I'm not sure those guys have the inherent value besides being a expiring deal and they just have no draft picks to trade. So, you know, they're, they're kind of in a tough spot. Like he would be an interesting piece for other teams. I just don't see him bringing anything back. That's, that's worth them, you know, trading. Yeah. I mean, I tend, I tend to agree. And I know, I know how Seth feels about Kyle Kuzma. You know, there are, you know, I'm just thinking mentally like the tech kind of teams that like, you know, Orlando, maybe like a team that's just very starved for even, you know, marginally efficient perimeter offense, like, and, and, and so who are those teams and, and what, what, like, and is it worthwhile to those teams? And, and, and it's just, it's, it's hard to see a play like combined with, with the, the kind of the cap, uh, yeah. machinations, like, like Mo's talking about just like from a, like a basketball fit, like where does he, you know, the, 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 the thirsty, not super efficient, poor defensive four is not a, <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not a, it's not a, that's not an in-demand archetype right now. No, no. I mean, listen, uh, the, the Rockets just, just waved Gary Clark, right? Like, which is a guy that I think could contribute because of his defense. Like that, that's a dude that, that probably is in a rotation for multiple playoff teams. I mean, including, you know, should have been in the rotation for Houston. And that guy is now sitting out there. Why, like, why would you trade for Kuzma when you could get a guy that you could plug in? But that's not a guy that's going to help them. Like for what the Lakers need? No, no, no. I don't mean for the Lakers. But I, I mean, if you're a team that is out there thinking about Kuzma, why wouldn't you just try to get Gary Clark? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that goes into all of these things. Um, you know, I'm not as high on Gary Clark as everybody else is. Like, I think, like, I don't think he's a rotation player on a playoff team, basically. Like, I just don't. You know, he may play spot minutes, but I don't think he makes that big of a difference in a rotation. And I think that's always the hardest thing with end of bench guys. That's the challenge really for organizations across the board is, you know, they have to figure that out for themselves. You know, I could be wrong and you could be right, Dave, and a team might jump in on that and 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 do that. And it would be a very rare occurrence where you're right and I'm wrong. But this is just <laughs> one of those things where it's. You know, it, it, it's an evaluation thing for each team, and which and does he land in the right place that provides that perfect fit? And I just, for me, just from what I've seen of Gary Clark, I don't think he's a rotation guy for a playoff team. Maybe regular season minutes eater, but I don't mm-hmm. buy more than that from him. Well, and I think sometimes that's that's the hard thing with the end of bench guys because you don't always see a lot of them or see them in r- big minutes besides high leverage time. minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so that leads to an interesting, you know, kind of conversation because. You know, this is the time where you you do start seeing a lot of, you know, like roster shuffling and things like that. I mean, Seth, you've been involved. You've been in the room helping make these decisions. Like, how, how do you how do you decide? All right, we're going to keep this guy. We're going to convert this guy from a two way. You know, we, we want to see what this guy has. We want to carry him into the summer to put him on the summer league roster. Like, how are you guys making this, this these decisions like actually in the room? So I think most sort of touched on on something, and this is something that's been a, a topic a little bit, um, is these, and Hollinger's talked about this a little bit too, is that these sort of, these these 12th through 15th man decisions are often much more um, contakers discussions than than kind of the, the, the higher end stuff, just because my theory is that, that the universe of players involved in kind of these lower level decisions is much larger. And so there's uh, kind of a broader range of opinion uh, because there's varying levels of familiarity with them. And also just because, you know, as Mo alluded to, there's you just have less of a meaningful sample on what this guy looks like in like non-garbage time NBA minutes. So there's a, like, you know, there's, there's a, you might like the cut of a guy's gym and say, oh, I can project him to blah, blah, blah. And another guy's like, you know, he sucks. He can't shoot. He can't whatever. You know, the, 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 uh, anybody in that sort of level of play has some warts. Like you, you look at Gary Clark and you say, oh, he can defend. He can do these things. And, and Mo and parenthetically the Rockets look at him and say, he can't shoot. And then that's the, gone. So it's a, these become very kind of for the level of impact they probably end up having. These end up being kind of the, uh, the a, a lot of time and and uh, and mental anguish is spent on them. And, well, I wonder how much of that, like like if, if you're on a good team, right? 
the guys that you really are are digging in deep on wind up being the like for for draft prep and and you know you know undrafted free agents things like that winds up being the guys that that are filling these roster spots so like i mean you've done this right did you find yourself like can you name a player that you just fell in love with for like no great reason like who wasn't going to be like an all-star or something like that like this is a great time to pat yourself on the back you could say that you love sterling brown who um, I, I, think, I, loved. I, but I think I think I think it's probably safest to go with a guy who is no longer on the box and say that I was always a big uh, believer in, in Christian Woods talents. Oh, yeah. And and, and so that uh, that uh, um, that was a, that was kind of, you know, again, uh, like a 15th man that that you you really push for. And it, they kind of never saw meaningful minutes for us last year um, just because of, of, you know, part of it was we were pretty good. So there just weren't a lot of minutes for him. Um, so, but, but that was, I think that would be, you know, and there was a, there's a lot of people in consideration for that spot and we just ended up going there. And then kind of later in the year, we ended up needing a, needing a, a third point guard because of some injuries. And so he was the kind of guy who, who got, uh, who, who got let, let go to make way for Tim Frazier. And that's kind of what happens in a lot of these spots is, is, you know, yeah, you, you kind of like the potential on the long term, blah, blah, blah. But and when it comes down to it. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a lottery ticket, but we really need a third point guard right now. And right, you know, that's a that's a professional point guard who can, if we have an overtime game, can play all fifty three minutes confidently, which Tim Frazier did. Which was, you know, for for end of the end of the year when you're just trying to make it to the playoffs, that actually was you know sort of valuable to not require you know kind of more playoff rotation needed guys to to suit up for a game almost. Yeah, and that's I mean to be honest, that's kind of how the Clippers lost Joe Ingles in training camp and he goes to the Jazz. You know, this is uh 2014-15 season and and uh I was no longer with the team otherwise I would have fought for Joe and kept him because I have so much pull in the video room. Um <laughs> but the uh you know the the Clippers felt like they needed a third guard. Um you know, they they I think it was Malik Waynes who Honestly, I don't know how many people are going to remember that that name, and I don't know why I do even. Um, but they kept him to and, and and waived Joe. Now they didn't really want to waive Joe. It's exactly as Seth said, but it was just a situation where they felt like they needed a third guard for you know, kind of just in case somebody gets hurt, sort of situation. And what happens? The Jazz pick Joe up off waivers. Now the Clippers were kind of hoping he he'd pass waivers, and at some point they'd be able to re-sign him, but the jazz pounced on him and now look what he's done. And it's one of those things where situational kind of comes into play. It's, it, it gets complicated in these decisions and it's, and it's not just, you know, we think this guy's a good player. It's like, but what do we need for the team right now? And <laughs> Seth, Seth's hit it, man. Those conversations go long, man. The, the, the 12 to 15th arguments can go much deeper than like when you're talking about actual rotation guys. Well, I, a lot I of think, that has to be because the the skills are. I mean, they're not as apparent. Like the, the guys aren't as talented. You know, it's very easy to to point out like LeBron James, and you can watch him while wow, he's incredible. Whereas with the other guys, it requires some nuance. It's that, and it's it's, it's as most said the fit, and it's also I think that just the there's the the cap flexibility part when you're talking about these these you know you're talking about guys who are you know minimum. You know, ten day, two way, some some level of, of of guarantee or non guarantee kind of stuff, and that's a much kind of narrower range where you're kind of as you move up the other roster, it's like, would you rather have this guy at ten million or this guy at seven million? And it's like, okay, this guy's better, but is he is he is is the difference worth the 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 difference in in you know in in salary? And though then so those those become uh, a little. Uh, kind of complicated and those complications can like limit your options almost because it's like okay well we prefer this guy but we only have a seven million dollar slot so we'll go with the guy we would in a vacuum prefer less and so that decision almost gets made for you where it's like you know would you would you you know you're you're ordering one slice of pizza and what toppings do you want on it is is more the 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 discussion you're having at at uh at this point yeah Um, and i before I forget, by the way, I want to make one sort of mechanical point that we talked, we talked about two ways and guys getting converted and stuff like that. And there's been like, I think it was, uh, um, who was it who converted Tyler cook and then waived him? Uh, it was Cleveland, right? Cleveland. 
Yeah. Yeah. And and so just a, a point on that is a lot of agents don't like their guys to get waived on two way contracts because if a guy gets waived on a two way contract, then he get can get claimed on a two way contract. On a two way, right? Yeah, right, and yeah. that's and and you've kind of already agreed to. Uh, in many t- cases, nod, nod, wink, wink, agreed yeah. to certain things on a two-way about how many days you're going to get and blah, blah, blah. Because uh, if, if for people who don't know, you get paid G League salary when you're in the G League, NBA salary when you're in the NBA. Uh, and so there, there's kind of uh, – you can get up to 45 days, and that's a couple hundred thousand dollars. Um, and so there's, there's, uh, there, there's at least intimations that there's an understanding of how long a guy will spend in the NBA and – you, with the team you signed with, you have that sort of understanding, uh, allegedly. And with a team that claims you, you have no such understanding. And so yeah. you'd much rather be just a, a straight free agent. Well, and, and Cleveland Cleveland has been great about – well, great for themselves, right? About doing these sorts of favors for agents and, and players. Like they've been extremely – smart. Yeah, they've been really, really t- uh, player-friendly on that. Uh, but yeah. so you, when we were talking about Gary Clark, you mentioned how – you know, there's a lot of focus. Like I focus on what he can do, and some teams are going to do that. And the Rockets clearly focus on what he can't do, which is shoot. Well, but you know, like to to go back to it real quick though, for the Rockets waving Gary Clark, Kelly Eco had a tweet. I mean, they're hoping he he clears waivers. I mean, they might actually bring him back. It's you know, at some point. So you know, it's not like it's 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 sort of along the lines of what Seth was saying. Maybe situationally, they felt like right now we need to have somebody else. But, you know, their hopes, you know, they still like him. They're not they're not off him in that sense. They just felt like right now it's better for them if he's not on their roster. And that tends to happen with teams throughout the league and at the end of the roster positions. You know, it's 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 a normal thing. So I don't know if they're focused so much on what he can't do, Dave, as much as they're just like they're looking more at what their team's needs are, what they need for the team more than than looking out for him and. For all we know, his agent might have just said, "Man, just if you're not going to play him, just cut him so we can get him somewhere else." Well, now that now that Mo totally stomped all over my segue, I want to talk about Ben Simmons still not shooting threes. Speaking of a player that we focus on the things that he doesn't do versus what he's great at, he's hit two threes this year. He's two two for five. He's a forty percent three point shooter. Guys, stop it, stop it. <laughs> so Brett Brown has challenged him publicly. To shoot more threes. Uh, and this was, he challenged yeah. him after the Cleveland game when he hit right. the three. Yeah. He's not, he's not wrong at all to push for him to, to take the threes when they're wide open. Like, I think he's right. But why wouldn't you put more emphasis on doing the things that he's great at? Like, they don't think about how they use Ben Simmons. I, like, I've been on a kick with this because. He's gotten a lot of uh, national media uh, hate uh, from, you know, in particular from the, the lovely Kevin O'Connor, who I, I really do like just a great guy. Uh, but I, like the guy is is a fantastic pick and roll basketball player. But he never like you look at he rarely gets to set screens. I think he's got 15 possessions as a role man. Uh, they rarely bring him off DHOs. These are ways that you can get non-shooters moving toward the basket, and he's he's dangerous when he's coming at the basket in the half court. So, like, I get that you know everyone should should shoot threes, especially when they're wide open. But it seems like Brett Brown's missing the the mark a little bit, Mo. No, I don't. I don't think necessarily he is as much as it's just. They don't run a ton of pick and rolls to begin with, right? Like right. they're not a heavy pick and roll team. You know, they're really they what they want to be is a post up team with getting that ball in the post to Joel and beat and go from there. And that's smart. You know, you know, right. And 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 the numbers kind of pan out that way. And and the 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 problem is just kind of just their 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 team in general just doesn't quite fit. Like, you know, adding Horford's great defensively, but it doesn't really make sense offensively. Like I pulled up a clip from uh their game in OKC and, you know, Simmons is driving in transition and that's really where he's at his best, right? When he's in transition, he's a beast and he can go. Uh, but when he's doing that, you have Horford pretty much, you know, in the pinch post and, and you really, he's got a space out to the three point line to, to pull his defender out there to be, at least be at the corner three. He doesn't do that. And now Simmons is in a tough spot and is, you know, really kind of no lane to, to attack the rim in that situation. I think it's, it's one of those things, you know, look, 
Brett wants him shooting threes, right? Like right. Brett wants him to take one attempt per game, you know? And, and the thing is, Simmons doesn't feel comfortable doing it, and and he's not going to do it. That's the one thing we know about Ben, right? Like, if he's not comfortable doing it, he ain't doing it. And and that's kind of the challenge there. I don't know, you know, as much as we're talking about, like, Brett's missing the mark with their offense or whatnot and things like that, it's just clunky altogether. I mean, even if you put him in a DHO and, and have him attack – I'm going way under on those screens and going to try to meet him on the other end. And because there's no spacing really for the most part, the paint's clogged. Like he's, he's running into more bodies when he does that. So it's, I'm not sure necessarily it's a, uh, uh, as clean and as easy as we say it is in that situation, just because how the roster is constructed. I, how much of the problem. Right, so like Joel Embiid is fantastic in the post. He's, he's at 1.2, Points per possession on post-ups. I mean, that, that is like a Damian Lillard or, or CJ McCollum pick and roll. That's how that's how good he is posting up. And he's doing it like 35% of his possessions, which is a lot. I mean, by far, he's posting up more than anybody in the league. If that's your game, then you then why why have Simmons? I mean, the bigger the bigger thing is is the Sixers are who we thought they were. Like this is this is Clunky everything offense. we said. Yeah. It's everything we said. Like they, when they get locked in, they're going to be terrifying defensively, and the offense is going to be ugly because the pieces don't totally fit. And that's exactly what they've been. And you know, and and despite us knowing this was going to happen, it's still been been a cause of reaction. And some of that is that, like the you know the the, the Bucks are winning every game again by twenty five, and and the, the the Celtics and Raptors and Heat are better than we thought, and Pacers are better than we thought they're going to be. So it's not just like they're just not just kind of cruising into the two seat, even though they're record wise, more or less about where we thought they'd be at this point. So it's, it's, you know, the, the reaction to everything being, you know, crazy in Philadelphia is, is really less about them and more about the situation around them. And, you know, that's not to excuse some of these, you know, these foibles, but it's just, you know, to, to let's, let's calibrate. And, and, you know, this is not, there's nothing that's happened with, with Philly that that should be a surprise to us this year, I guess like they're, you know, they're going to look ugly some nights and then uh, some, some nights against the best teams, they're going to look absolutely amazing. Like on Christmas day, they were, they were like, and you know, shooting aside, they hit, obviously they hit a lot of shots, but like yeah. defensively they were terrifying on, on, on Christmas day. And that's kind of like when you see the idealized version of that team where you play really good defense and you have, you know, with Embiid, you have best player on the floor equity in any game. Right. Like that's that's a team with it with a chip and a chair. And that's, you know, again, they are who we thought they were. They are the one team that I, I feel confident can guard Giannis effectively in a seven game series. I, I I'd put them ahead of the Lakers in, in that department. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're the East is kind of crazy just because every team has one team they don't want to play in the playoffs, it feels like, at this point. You know, like, I feel like Philly doesn't want to play Miami. I think they can give them a series. I think Milwaukee doesn't want to play Philly. Like you said, I think they are that one team that can kind of defend Giannis and, 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 and give them trouble. I think, you know, Miami probably doesn't want to play Boston. Like, just like there's just a whole feel of these things where it's it just feels like depending on where the seeding works out, as they get to the play, as we get closer to the playoffs, and we're a while away, like that's going to really kind of shape who's coming out of the the East in that situation. Really, just sort of where teams fall in the brackets. You know, the way things are going now, it's, it's quite possible we might get a, a Bucks Sixers second round matchup. You know, and and that's that's something we thought was going to be a conference finals, hands down, right? Yeah, I mean, I like Mo. You and I, we we thought the Sixers had a really good shot at winning a title. I'm still not off it. I'm I, I'm more concerned. Yeah, but I'm not I'm not off it because I also think this team is kind of built a little better for the playoffs than the regular season, and and that stuff. Now, am I nervous about that? Absolutely. I'm a I, I and I think everybody is who picked the Sixers, right? Because we weren't the yeah. only two who did that. Oh it's no, not like yeah. it's not like our Orlando prediction, which is still going to happen. By the <laughs> yeah, way, yeah, they're, they're gonna, definitely um, going to come back. They're going on a 25 game win streak, <laughs> that's, folks. That's right. I'm telling you that. Just don't like you know the disclaimer earlier. Don't don't put money on it. Um, but you know it's 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 a little shaky. We're we're a little bit concerned. There's more concerns about it. And my bigger concerns is just like man, are 
are they going to bring it every night? You know, that's right. really my biggest issue with them, not their offense. Like, cause I didn't expect their offense to be good, you know, and we've said yeah. it and it's like Seth said, it's exactly what we expected them to be. I'm more concerned with them bringing it every night. And that's something I didn't expect to see this season. I thought they'd have more motivation and it just doesn't, they think they're a flip to switch team. And let's be honest, they're not. Yeah. Do you know, the one, the one team that I, I thought was going to just look like, you know, a world beater that I am starting to get a little nervous about is the Clippers. Like we know what Kawhi can do and we know what Paul George can do. Um, I'm not, I'm not in love with how they're playing right now. Like I'm not in love with, with the chemistry and the fit and the night in night out effort. I think they're another team that is a little bit, you know, with we knew they were going to manage minutes and, and appearances and not, you know, have guys play when they had a little little something going on, like a little soreness or something. So, um, you know, again, another team that that they kind of are having the season we sort of thought they would, but now that we're in it, we're kind of reacting day to day. Like I, I agree with you that they have some some stuff to wor- to worry about. I think that they have, uh, along with Boston, they're one of the teams that has the biggest kind of questions on the interior. Uh, I don't think I don't think Zubats is is a guy who can who can, you know, second round plus at this point, I think he's just too limited offensively to get any real minutes. And, you know, that's you and they, but they don't necessarily have a, a you know, okay, we're not going to give the guy the ceremonial start anymore. So who, who do we go to now? Like Harold can't, you can't bump up Harold's minutes that much. And then, so then it's like, are you starting Harold and splitting him and Lou Williams up? Are you starting Jermichael Green at the five? Are you like, what are, what is the other option here? So that's that's a worry. But at the same time, again, this is a team that is not is not really built or focused on you know winning sixty five games in the regular season. But that's but that's the thing though, Seth. And I was with you really up until this weekend, and I went on uh, one of our athletic team specific pods. It's amazing how much trouble I have saying that word. Uh, Clip City to talk about you know the Clippers with Jovan Buha and. To be honest, like after this weekend, I was like, there's a lot more going on there in that locker room than I think we know. I think there's a discomfort level with the the resting of Kawhi. I think there's a, you know, is he with us or is he not with us? I mean, Montrez Harrell had some really strong quotes in the locker room after they got blown out by Memphis. Gave up 140 to Memphis, 132 to the Knicks. And I just think... They also think they're a flip-the-switch team, but besides Kawhi, nobody on that team really is. Thank you. Nobody's n- nobody's ready for that. And you know, and and I'm it really pains me to give Dave credit, but Dave was saying this a couple of weeks ago and was was more more alarmed about how they were playing, and I brushed it off. But seeing it this weekend, where I was just like, man, it just doesn't seem right. I think there's a we don't give the Raptors credit. You're listening, Toronto. This is me talking. You guys killed me earlier, but we didn't give them enough credit for the record they had without Kawhi last season because, like, that's a schizophrenic thing. You know, you walk into the arena going like, oh, Kawhi's not playing tonight? Oh, okay, then let's roll. You know, like, there's a comfort level of knowing your roles and things like that. It's very fluid when you have a guy that load manages. And the thing is, when he load manages, that that load doesn't go away. That just puts more on everybody else's plate, and they have to do more. And I think that puts more pressure on these guys. And I think there's, there, there are right now it's like small, small, small cracks. But if you've ever had a broken window, a small crack slowly grows. And and they got to start figuring that stuff out. I don't know what the prudent answer is because Kawhi's still going to load manage. He's still going to do his thing. But it it becomes an issue at a certain point. And I think we're just kind of getting the beginnings of it right now. Yeah, they're they're just too cool for school. That that's my issue. Like they are treating this season like a team that's in year late year two or, or year three of a championship run. And I just don't think that that's a good mindset to have for a team that hasn't done it. Kawhi's done it. We've seen that. But from all these other guys, no way. I mean, Paul, Paul George, like the big knock on Paul George is that we never see him do it after, you know, March. I think that's, I mean, that's, that's a little bit of revisionism because Paul George first kind of, uh, came to prominence by being a, a very worthy playoff adversary 
uh, kind of the year before Indiana got really good the first time. He was he was big time in that in that series against against the Heat, if if we remember correctly. So I think that's that's a little bit of revisionism on on, on Paul George. Um, but I you know I'm 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 I struggle to worry too much about a team having you know a, a, a downturn uh, the first week in January. I just it's it's hard for me to to really you know a team that's shown that they can get there. You know they can they can they can reach a certain a certain point. Um, like this is the kind of the time of year where we, we see this. So now, if if it's you know if we get to the end of February and it's still we, we've seen kind of the same thing over the la- the next like four five six weeks, then I'm and they haven't made a move at the at the trade deadline. Then I'm kind of that's when I'll start to get more concerned. But as of right now, again, I'm. I I tend to want to take the long view of these things, and so yeah, these are things to keep an eye on. But these aren't like panic things, right? For me, but this is I, but you know, like I get it. It's the long view and everything, and it's January, and 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 listen, this team still might run off and and go win the championship. They're good enough, but this is something you got to nip in the bud as a coaching staff now, because you know you got to stop anything. Like I, chemistry is the most fragile thing, and once that stuff starts to erode. It becomes a difficult thing. I'm not listen, aggregators. I'm not saying that's what's happening in with the Clippers, but it's something to keep an eye on in this situation because those were some really strong comments from Harold, which I wasn't expecting. I mean, even Doc, you know, in January saying I don't know the identity of this team yet. Part of that's because the team's been hasn't been fully healthy for a while. They haven't had, you know, they have a lot of days off. They don't practice a ton. They have a lot of. Kawhi missing games for for load management and things like that like at a certain point you got to start playing and having chemistry you got to start practicing to build that stuff and you know you're looking at it now's the time to do that and if you don't nip this now like it becomes a bigger issue in february and and whatnot or this might lead to a trade at the deadline where you're like yo we got to get rid of this guy so here's a here's a question because i think i've seen this discussion come up and you, you, this is you're you talking about is kind of the first time I've ever heard anything about like locker room issues. Like it from everything that that kind of I've been told and seen, it's like the the off court chemistry is fine. It's the on court fit that's been weird because of players being in and out, because of sort of some of the imbalances of the roster and stuff like that. And those are those are I mean that one can bleed into the other, but in terms of the thing being like for the course of the season. The like if it's just like on court stuff we got to work out, that's you know that's okay we'll work it out. Where if it's if it's actually like the locker room and, and personal stuff, then that's where become can become something that maybe like festers and can and can derail a season. Kind of like we saw. I mean we I think you know you look at the Celtics last year it would be an example of 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 it going that way. Um, and I don't you know if 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 there's you know coherent reporting to that effect, then that's something that maybe starts to get me more concerned but again if it's just the the on court weirdness then it's like well, give it time but yeah, you, it doesn't feel that way like I should, that's the one I should thing. Know. I feel like it leaks I, I feel like it it it, it kind of does lead to the frustrations on the court leads into the locker room and bleeds in a little bit I, I should note they are currently fifth in net rating uh they have the fifth best offense and the eighth best defense so like I understand that this is you know, this is more about our expectations than it is actual performance. And I know Seth is about to yell at me about the net rating. No, 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 no. Okay, I think that's a that's a perfectly fine use of that's that is that is a that is a pristine use of net rating. But, I appreciate oh my gosh, the, that's disappointing. I really wanted see, you to yell at Dave. Listen, guys, I I told you guys I'm like a kind of an analytics guy. Not really, uh, Seth. No, not, not at all. Listen, so you said you had a rant prepared. I'm assuming you didn't write this, but the people no, just, look, the people want more rants from Seth. And I think that this is a good, a good spot for further education on improper use, uh, bad faith use of stats. So you, you actually teed this up for me nicely. It's almost like we planned this beforehand. Yeah. It's almost uh, like we, we do pre-production. Yeah. Um, so while, while that's a good use of net rating to look at, at the team over a course of a season where they are, they're they're you know the Clippers have been pretty good on both offense and defense, and thus pretty good overall. Uh, something that that has bugged me, um, and and again, 
part of it is we've done a good job of kind of, okay, the, the points, rebounds, assists, slash line, as Ben Taylor calls it, isn't, isn't the end-all, be-all for, for player value or player production. We've done a good job of, of removing that as, as kind of the first thing people look at. And people are scrambling to find something else to say, this guy's good. Uh, and one of the things they've landed on, and it's not good, is looking at the offensive and defensive rating wall players and net rating wall players on the court and saying, this player has an offensive rating of X. Uh, that is not an individual stat and should not be used as such. It's, it's all that this is, again, I think we've talked about this a little, but when Pop ranted about like single game individual player plus, plus minus at, uh, at the World Championships, uh, the, or the World Cup, whatever it was, the summer, uh, and he was talking about, you know, you could have a bad couple minutes. You could have, you don't know who you're playing with, playing against, blah, blah, blah. All of those things go into that. And that's why, you know, the, those those strange situational things, especially as teams have sort of set rotations, propagate across many games. So if a team is it has a 110 offensive rating while a certain player is on the floor, that doesn't really say a whole lot about that player. And but at the, at the, but it's being used as such, and that bugs me. And that's why we have more advanced uh, techniques like adjusted plus minus, regularized adjusted plus minus, real plus minus. All of these acronym stats are attempts to kind of smooth out the, the variance that uh, most of the, like the statistical variance of make 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 or miss league kind of stuff. But also who you're playing with, who you're playing against, situational stuff like that. Uh, and so it's very dangerous to to look at, okay, well, they, you know, they've, they've outscored opponents by seven points per hundred while this player is on the floor, therefore. Um, and so it's, it, it's not the player has this rating. It's while this player on the floor, the team has this rating. And those are very different things. Uh, you coming with me on this? Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, listen, yeah. I, I think that um, I actually, <laughs> this is going to sound awful to, to you, but I think like if you watch a game, and you look at the individual plus minus and it lines up and you're like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. It's more useful than trying to use the aggregated over the season net rating. That's, I mean, that, yes, but you, you, there's huge danger of confirmation bias. Oh, there. absolutely. Like, I get him like, set. Get him set. No, 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 no. It's, it's, I, I do it too. It's like, okay, you, you watch, like, you know, Last year, when the Sixers play, you watch a game. It's like, man, they really seem like they, they've gotten killed with with Embiid off the floor. And then you look at their backup center, and their backup center is minus thirteen in six minutes. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, um, and and because that 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 plays into what you're seeing, but you can you can also kind of fool yourself with that. And you know, that's something that also kind of proved to be the case over like many games that the Sixers got killed whenever Joel Embiid sat in the playoffs last year. So yeah. that's that that you know over some games. Like that, that sort of on-off stuff can become uh, instructive and maybe point you in a direction. But again, the danger is jumping to causation. Right. Like, I think like that, that they, when you they see are those, when this, ha- yeah, when you see those big drop-offs, I think it tells you more about the positive impact of the player who left the court than the negative impact of the players who are on the court when he's I not don't out think there. It, I, I don't think it. I, I, I don't agree with that. In, well, in this a, instance, where Embiid instance, goes right. off and yeah, their okay, defense yes. falls apart, right? Yeah. No, I think yeah. I think in this instance that is probably so. Yeah. Uh, but in general, what it does is, okay, they're much better when when this you know this you know uh, if you go to the, the the optometrist, better or worse? Okay, worse. Why? You know, and that's and that's um, it's a starting point for figuring out why it is not. See, it's because of him. Right. If something is happening. Right. Can I can, um, can I ask you a question, Seth? Okay. Uh, so when you're, you're back to the rating, no, 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 no. This is like this is this is me asking no, no, no. You how to use the tool. This isn't me sure, fighting, sure, sure. me and you fighting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We're gonna space out our fights throughout the course of the season. Oh, those those will we're, be exclusive on the athletic. Those are long. <laughs> that's like the the jan- long term view. Our fights are spaced out. Just so you guys know, we can't we can't spoil you like that, but. So if you're looking at the rating, so you're saying we're saying like, okay, the the way the NBA stats gives us it's, you know, Shea Gilgis Alexander has a whatever plus five net rating. No, no, the court. You're, you're, we're saying no, no. 
Hold on. Relax, relax, okay. relax, relax. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, you know, but we're saying, but really what we want to say, what we should be saying is like, hey, like the Oklahoma City Thunder have a plus five net rating one Shays on the court. Is that is that yes. what we're trying to say? Yes. And I think that that's a that that it sounds like a semantic difference, but in terms of you like correctly understanding, like you broader, not you Mo, correctly understanding what's going on. I think saying it that way is very important because again, if you say it, Shay has has a plus five net rating. It's like first of all, you're calling it a rating, so it sounds like there's some like evaluation behind it. It's like. Shea's great. He's plus five. That's that's really good. And it's like, no, the team has performed well when he's on the floor. And, you know, because we know more about basketball and we've watched Shea play and looked at other stats, we can we can surmise that that he is partially to credit for that. Um, but that's that's a separate and deeper and other analysis that goes beyond just the fact that they have out, they have scored five more points per hundred possessions while he has been on the floor. Perfect. That's that was my question. See, you thought I was going one way, but I went the other. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, let's let's wrap this up. Uh, Mo, what are you what are you paying attention to this next week? I might even have said this before, but I'm really paying attention to how coaches use their last two timeouts in close games. Um, Seth's favorite coach Boylan had had said recently in a, in a I don't know if it was a post game or whatever, but I just caught the the quote of him kind of blowing up, blowing through his timeouts. And he's like, look, we practice this way so that, you know, if even if we're in a close game, our guys know what to do or whatnot. But the value of being able to advance the ball at the end of games is so important. And I kind of catch coaches sometimes burning that one timeout, I feel, relatively early, you know, at like the minute mark or something like that, where I'm like, man, that might come back to haunt you later. You might need that to advance the ball. So I'm, I'm paying more attention to how – teams and coaches are using those those last two timeouts at the end of close games i would go one step further than that and i would say that that in many situations end of game that the value in those timeouts is overwhelmingly to kind of either save possession if you're struggling to inbound the ball or to save time advancing the ball than it is in terms of setting a play up i think that those are in 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 like with some few exceptions, kind of like, you know, down three inbounding uh, with four seconds left. Like, OK, then you need a timeout to set something up to get a, a catch and shoot look as best as possible. But, you know, we've we, we and we've talked about this before that you uh, that a lot of times the best thing to do is your best perimeter player dribbles the ball at the top of the head and go. You don't need a timeout to set that up. Right. Like, you know. You look at the Bulls, and they've done this a couple times this year. Like Zach Levine gets a rebound, dribbles down the court, he's dribbling at the top of the floor. They call a timeout, inbound the ball to Zach Levine at the top of the floor, who dribbles the timeout. Dribbles the timeout, yeah. Yeah, it's like, okay, neat. Um, So At the same time, though, carrying those timeouts to the next game isn't a thing, so... Yeah, but yeah. I, but I don't. But I think so. That used to be my philosophy, Dave. Right? Is burn them, go through them, whatever. You know, this or that. But now I feel like just with the way we're doing it, with the way we're eliminating timeouts. Yeah. You know, like you know, that's it. it you used to be able to go into the last two minutes with three timeouts. Sometimes even more. You know, it felt like, um, like three you know, to twenty or something like that. Yeah. Right. Like if I mean, remember how long those last two minutes used to go? Like they used to be like twenty minutes. Um. With, with all the timeouts, now it's just slowed down with replays. I was going to say, they but, replaced the timeouts with replays, so you still have timeouts. But, but like, you know, the 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 value of it now would, like, I don't think it's as bad if you go, if you walk away with one, with one timeout. Hell, maybe you want to challenge a call at the last, you know, uh, a, a foul call that you think should be a no call. Maybe you want to challenge that in the last minute. You know, maybe that's something you, having that timeout carries that value now a little bit differently with those things. Now I'm not a big fan of the coach's challenge, but that's, that's got to play a role into this too. Seth, what, what do you, uh, what do you got cooking? I, uh, I got my first kind of looks at, uh, at, uh, Sekou Deboya this, this week. Oh and, my gosh. And, and he has my complete attention. Uh, that's that, I think that's something I'm, uh, you know, I thought that, that, that he, he ultimately like fouled out yeah. and, and the, 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 the Lakers the game against, against the Lakers, but, he didn't look out of place no. despite guarding AD and LeBron the whole game. You can like watch third, the last couple of weeks. You can see like things are starting to slow down for him. 
And he's a yeah. fantastic athlete. And he just, yeah, and I'm sure everyone has seen it by him ending Tristan Thompson. It is currently my now. phone wallpaper. <laughs> it wow. Is, that, <laughs> I, that dunk, I like, I'm not, I mean, I, I like dunks just like everybody else, but I'm not like, a, oh, oh man. Wow. That got, that got me up off my couch. That dunk was crazy. So, yeah. Oh, man. I'm, I'm all in for some Seku. Uh, I'm going to be paying attention to the Spurs, which I'm sure everyone finds funny. Uh, their last seven games have been a little different, and it's all because LaMarcus Aldridge is shooting more threes. And not only shooting more threes, but spacing out to the three-point line. So he's out of DeMar DeRozan's way. DeMar DeRozan in the last seven games has shot four threes. He's two of four, whatever. But he's 65% He's a 50% free three-point shooter. Yeah. There you go. Uh, (laughs) LaMarcus Aldridge has gone from 1.7 threes a game to 4.3. That's a pretty significant jump in the last seven games. And since then, the Spurs have a 120.6 offensive rating. And And they've struggle this year um i i want to push people to start reconsidering the boxes that they put players in and and i think there's inherent bias kind of against damar for not shooting threes which he's not very good at and and aldridge doesn't get nearly the amount of grief for not shooting threes despite being a much better three-point shooter uh so i'm watching the spurs i want to see if this is real Is, is this a blip or is this a real sea change for them and if so I think you're going to make the playoffs again, which just goes to show that you can't kill the Spurs. So I want to, let's, can we put a pin on that and have, and, and revisit LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan at a later date? Yes. That's a, that's a, that while, while what you just said is, is true, is largely true. I think that uh, extrapolating further from that in a way that you might be suggesting is, problematic but that's a that's Ooh. a tease for for Ooh. future yeah Ooh, that's a future fight folks i will be selling <laughs> yeah. tickets dave versus <laughs> seth come on guys this listen is a all fight. i'm we saying is hyping hey, this up like the ufc demar Derozan, his his points responsible for he's been top 15 for the last six or seven years and and by the way his his percentage of assisted points has gone up every single year which means he is he is demonstrably improving as a playmaker year over year and I think that's what you want out of a guy like DeRozan. So and his um, team has been better with him off the floor every year, but except for the last seven games, where they've been better with him on the floor. Actually, the starters are finally starting to win minutes, which is the huge change for the Spurs. But uh, now we're going a little too too deep on the Spurs. I want to save it. Uh, that's it for this week's show. We will be back next week uh, with more from myself and Seth and Mo. So uh, thanks, guys, for listening, and we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Mm-hmm.